pull out your message notes, I want to share this morning, uh, we're going to start a series, it's either going to be two or three weeks, depends on when we get in the buildings, uh, it's going to be called The ch- uh, Church Is, The Church Is, The Church Is. And so my whole mentality on this series is really to talk about what is the church? I am extremely concerned about our church. I'm, I'm concerned about the big church at large, the body of Christ. I'm concerned about the state of uh, our faith in this nation. We once were a Christian nation. We are no longer a Christian nation. Actually, President Obama was the one that officially spoke that. I'll never forget in his presidency when he said, we are no longer. He was really the first president to ever articulate something. Now, I'm not saying it's not the fact of what was, but to have at the highest level a rejection of in God we trust, and we were talking about one God, not multiple gods. That currency was, that statement on the currency was based on Judeo-Christian values and principles, not all gods. And I remember when that statement was released, when you begin, because remember, leadership always starts from the top down. So once it's released from the top, it infiltrates in a greater way and capacity all through the the rest of those that we get the privilege to lead. That's why we got to watch our mouth. You can't just say anything flippantly. In fact, the Bible says we'll be held accountable. What is that, a mosquito? Man, get that mosquito. Come on. Try to bite me. My God. Somebody needs to bind that mosquito. No, I'm just, just playing. You got to watch what you say. The Bible says we'll be held accountable for the words that come out of our mouth. There are no idle words because words set a, a course and a direction. Um, and what I'm concerned about that I've seen even now more than ever is this idea of deconstruction. You probably have heard it in Christian circles. It's very popular. It's deconstruction. And so the mentality is we're going to deconstruct some ideas and some thoughts that we have in the faith and and, uh, things that have been set as normal and understood or no longer just understood. It's become a fad and a trend. And that is a very alarming and concerning thing, not because I'm afraid of deconstruction. Deconstruction is a natural part of our faith. So let me tell you what deconstruction is, where you challenge what you believe. So when we become believers, there's really three parts to your faith. Number one, there's a construction phase. It's like we get saved, we're born again, and we build our life on the Word of God. Well, then there is a natural deconstruction phase. So that's where you begin to say, okay, I know God, you're a good God. I know that because you saved me, but I'm walking through hell right now. So I begin to deconstruct my faith and say, but God, if you're so good, why am I walking through this? It's the testing of your faith. It's the questioning, God, are you real? God, are you good? Is heaven a reality? Is it a reality? Is hell a reality? See, I, I, I was building my faith, and I'm in a church, I'm listening to pastor, but there is an okay factor of deconstruction, because when you deconstruct it, and you realize, yeah, the world says that God's not good, yes, they say that hell's not real, yes, they say the Bible is not the infallible word of God, but I have deconstructed it, I've looked at it, I've examined it, 
and now I'm going to reconstruct it as a fact and reality in my life. So then there's a reconstruction process. So I'm not coming against the deconstruction. The problem is deconstruction was never intended to happen outside of a commitment to the local church a membership, a relationship. Why? Because I've got brothers and sisters who I can say, hey man, I don't know if God's real. And Bobby says, man, God's real. Hey, I don't know if God's good, you know? And, 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 and you're like, no, God's good. Come on, we're going, David's like, God's good, pastor, we're going to make it. And so it was intended to be deconstructed in relationship to the church. But you got these people deconstructing and they're not planted in a church. So deconstruction begins to destroy them. And so that's where you have like the Josh Harris's. Like for me, the book I Kissed Dating Goodbye was the book that I read when I said, I'm not, I'm not dating anybody. And literally six months later, I, got, I was engaged with Phyllis. That book was pivotal for my life. I thought, I'm not dating anybody, God, I'm gonna date you. And it was like, as soon as my heart shift, Phyllis pops in the scene. Woo! And we didn't date. We just got engaged and then married. He turned from the faith, renounced his faith. Christianity, that's how you have a Hillsong worship leader, renounce his faith. I've seen more Christians renouncing their faith because they've deconstructed outside of God's process of deconstruction. And if we're not careful, what we will do is we'll allow their deconstruction, which is out of alignment with God, to cause us to self-destruct. And then we have unstable foundation for the church. Now we come together and we're all like, woo, we're the church, but we don't have the same foundation. We're not strong. We, we don't know what we believe. We're hearing this and we're hearing that. And so now we're shaken by whatever society says and the winds that blow in our nation. It's a problem. It's a challenge. We, we, we have a faulty foundation. And so I, I was reminded as I've been thinking about this, how many of you have ever heard of the, the Leaning Tower of Pisa? It's in Italy. And so, um, so it's a building that they started to build in the 1400s. Took a couple hundred years. But it's massive, I think 185 feet tall, eight feet wide. And, and so, but they started building this thing, which is thousands and thousands of tons of weight. And, and everything was good architecturally, but they built it on land that is soft. And the foundation, because of the weight of the building, caused the building to shift five degrees. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in a building that shifts one degree. <laughs> and people go, and, and what you see now, and they've corrected it, they shirted it up in the 1900s, they've started to re-level uh, it back up. I think now it's leaning at 3%. I'm like, yo, that's still too much. Submit picture. I think, look, there's the picture right there. So you got this massive building that was too heavy for the land and begins. So, so what you see is you see a foundation failure, structural failure. So a building that has structural failure has become a tourist hotspot. I wonder if churches that have foundational failures have become hotspots of tourism. See, we equate attendance with success. No, that's not success. That leaning tower piece is not success. It's actually a failure. It's just become a tourist hotspot. 
And so my gift, and COVID is, I mean, this is the journey I've been on. It's like it exposed some things and I'm like, no, 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 ain't never again. We're not going to mistake a crowd for solid foundation. Why? Because if we had a solid foundation, we wouldn't have seen 60 and 70% of the church not come back. And that's not just our church, that church is all over America. Now, I can't help churches across America, but you better believe I get to pastor this church. And I don't care what people say. And there is a boldness that it's like, look, you can self-destruct all you want. I, I am not responsible for the amount of people that come, but I am responsible for the discipleship of the people that come. And so... The foundation, the foundation, it's, it's, it's on sand and, and, and ground that is soft. They actually said it was soft ground. And here's what I felt like the Lord has been speaking to me. You're asking for my weight of presence and glory, but if I bring it, it will crush you. I need you to build a solid foundation so when my glory falls, the weight of my presence comes. There's not going to be a failure in my church. So that's what we're doing. The church is we're going to build a foundation. So that, because here's what I tell you God's coming. Like he's already here, but I'm telling you, we're going to be a house of miracles. Like you, you just get ready because there are things that God is going to do that is going to blow every one of our minds. But the question is not, will his weight fall on our church? It's how will we support his weight? Will we stay structurally sound? Will we stay structurally strong? And my, my, my responsibility is to build a church that is spotless, without wrinkle, that when he comes back, we're, he, it, every one of us, well done, my good and faithful servant. So I'm going to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start today. Hopefully I can get through. I got way more notes than I could possibly do. I didn't even give you a whole bunch of notes. Just gave you a bunch of scriptures because I don't know where I'm going to go. I got a plan, but we'll see what the Holy Spirit does. The first thing to build a strong foundation is you have to know that the church is God's idea. See, right now the church is, is, is in flux. It's been shaken because we think it's our idea. Like it wasn't your idea, you don't get to define it. Let me say it again, it's, it wasn't your idea. You don't get to define what church looks like. We gotta go to the one who defined church. We gotta go to the one who has the idea of what he wants to build and what he's called us to be a part of. And, and I don't have a whole lot of time to lay this. You're just gonna have to trust me. But I will show you Matthew 16, 18. This is the passage where Jesus defines who Jesus is according to Jesus's definition of himself. See, I think a lot of people define Jesus, but it's not a, the way Jesus defines himself. He is the one true living God. He is our savior. There is no other. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So you can't just define him. You've got to define him correctly. So Peter defines him and then Jesus defines Peter. You are Peter, Petros, rock. Upon this big rock, the rock of revelation of who I really am, and your revelation of who you are. Then he says, I will build, just look, I will build my church. Everybody say church. church. That's his idea. That word there is ecclesia. 
That's the gathering of people. It's not just the body of Christ at large, and I'm grateful for technology, but he meant the gathering in person of the body of Christ. We go all throughout scripture, forsake not the assembling of yourselves. Like I get it, so what has COVID done? It, and, and I'm not, listen, listen to me. I am not picking a side. I'm not saying mask or no mask. I'm not saying in person or not in person. I'm talking kingdom. He defined church as the gathering of people, his people. So at whatever level you feel comfortable, that's fine, but there's gonna have to come a day we cannot live in isolation our entire life. We've gotta come together and let the corporate glory of God fall on the corporate church, the body us he defines who the church is and what it looks like so why does the church exist i'm just i'm gonna throw this out there and then i'm only gonna be able to talk about one and so i'm going to talk about some more next week depending on where we go today but here's what we need to know and there's other things but i want it to be boiled down to the top three for us Peter and I, my, uh, he's my resident theologian. Um, him and I, we'll have debates. Last night we were debating. I said, Peter, tell me about the church. We just, we do it all the time. But if we whittled it down to this. The church exists to worship God, equip believers, and reach the world. The church exists to worship God, equip believers, and then reach the world. Well, pastor, what do you mean? Well, I thought we're here to reach the lost. Yes, we are. That's a part of why we exist. Whether, you know, we're discipling. Yes, that's right. But what we tend to forget and the deconstruction that I believe has happened is we forget church is about worshiping God first. Like we come together corporately because we're his bride. Could you imagine him bringing the bride in and us forgetting about the groom? Oh, no, just, no, just don't even worry about me. You just go do what you got to do. No, no, no. He, he wants to be loved on. He wants to be worshipped. That's how come we always end at least the last song vertical. Like we could talk about he heals cancer. He does all those things. And the reason we've been playing that song is because I believe as we get into that building, cancer is going to die. I believe you're going to see miracles happen. But listen, we can't let those things distract us from the person and presence of who we are here for. We are his. And I'm concerned you can have the right things, but in the wrong order, and it'll produce a faulty foundation. It's not like, oh, well, yeah, we're here. No, 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 no. We are here to worship God. That's the first and foremost. And then I think sometimes, and, and, and I'm, I'm guilty of it, I, I'm embarrassed to say I don't even know if I really understood fully why the church exists. I just knew God called me to launch the church. But baby, I know why the church exists now. It's to worship God, it's to equip believers, and it's to go change the world by reaching the lost. In that order. Think about this. We worship God, but you didn't equip a believer. Well, how are you going to change the world? How are you going to reach the lost? But if we go and say, listen, we're just here to reach the lost, here's the problem. And, and, and this is when you look at millennial and Gen Zers, you know, I'm not going to knock on you. I, I, you're under 40. I love you. Your pastor loves you. The problem is not with you. The problem is with us. We created the wrong culture. We created in the 1960s the seeker movement. And so we're birthing this movement of seekers. And listen, it touched a generation. I believe it changed a lot of lives. It's impacted people. The problem is it's created a culture that now believes God is a desperate boyfriend. 
Why? Because it's all about you. It's always been about you. You come to church and it's all about you and we're going to make everything all about. No, 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 no. It ain't about you. It's never been about you. It's all about God. Now God loves you. So once we worship God and give him what he deserves, now we'll go and give for the Lord the reward of his sacrifice, which was Jesus dying on a cross. Why did he do it? Because he loves you. But don't forget, it's all about him. God's not a desperate boyfriend. And when we begin to think he's a desperate boyfriend, it's all about, everything's about you. Oh, you know, I don't like that song. Who cares? It's not about you. My question is, did God like it? His presence was here, so I love you, but I don't care. I used to care. I don't care no more. I'm telling you, I got this. I was telling Bobby, we were meeting last night. I don't care no more, because when we have the presence and power of God, you're going to stop caring about what you think. You're going to say, I don't care what I thought, because my life's a mess. I need God. I'm here. I need you. Whatever you like, I'm going to like. We got to get this thing right. If we don't get this thing right, the church ain't going to stand like like God's intended. And I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's hard, man. It's hard having integrity. It's hard doing what's right. It's hard letting people talk. Don't make me say a slight cuss word. My bird will come out or something, man. You got to watch it. People start talking mess on you. You ain't done nothing but love them and their family and people. And, you know, it's because you, you just got to be real careful. It ain't about you. It's not about me. I'm not going to let people hurt me in a way. It's like, God, you, I get my, the only way people can hurt you is if you let them. Like it's like, God, I get my validation from you. And what I've learned is, man, he sure loved me when I hurt him. His love never faltered. It never changed. He never got bitter. He never said things to me. He just said, I love you. And, And here's the deal. They may never know, and that's okay. Why? Because I'm so full of God. It's his Zoe love. It's his agape love that flows. It's like, wow, just, I'm not, I'm not perfect, but God, it's all about you. And it's not easy. So don't mistake in, like, it's, it's going to be hard. Buying that building was hard. You don't believe me? Ask Bobby. He's got about 5,000 gray hairs in his head because of that building. I mean, I'm telling you, it ain't, nothing's easy. If, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Listen, if, the, if, if, if building a church right was easy, everybody would house the tangible presence of God. But the problem is God's not going to rest his weight on his church that can't support it and destroy it. So I believe he's looking for churches that get the foundation, get the foundation right. So that then the full weight of his glory sits in a tangible place where people can point to and say, man, if you go there, I don't know what it is. I believe in the day someone drives by just repentance You know, it's like, I don't even know what it is, but I feel like I'm a sinner. And it's like, you're correct. You are a sinner. The seeker days would say, oh, you're good. No, 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 no. The correct response is, yes, you're a sinner right in the presence of Almighty God. And what he has done is exposed that sin, that unrighteousness, because he is holy and you are not. And you're dying and you're going to hell. And the reason he's doing that is because he loves you and he has a solution for the sin that is causing you eternal separation. We got to say, God is holy. Look, we, yeah, we have a sin problem. 
We have a sin problem. Let me sit back down. So, the, I'm going to give you a couple of statements and let me just go. God is a person, not an impersonal cosmic force. Not something way out there. He's a person. Everybody say a person. Here's another statement. God desires relationship, not religion. Relationship, relationship, relationship. So the best way I could describe this is marriage. If you're not married, I know you want to be married. Because it's like, oh, Lord, don't come back till I get married. God, don't let nothing. You know how it is. You're living for that day. You're like, oh, Lord, please let me experience what it's like to have relationship in the proper context of covenant. You know, come on. I like so. So marriage is a relationship. How many think marriage is easy or hard? (laughs) All my married people said hard. And my single people said, easy, because I love them. And then Steve says, both and, because Steve is so good. <laughs> the, the answer is yes, all the above. Steve's right. Like, it's easy at times, and it's hard. Now, what's interesting is that they say, psychiatrists and uh, uh, sociologists, they say, but by the year seven in a marriage, people will tend to have uh, more, there's more divorces take place. You ever heard the seven-year itch? It's like things get comfortable, complacent. Well, it's, it's more than that. Psychologists actually talk about it takes about seven years for you to no longer be able to manipulate the person you married. About seven years, they realize you're full of crap. <laughs> right? Like you wake up seven years and you're like, uh, I hate lasagna. <laughs> and your wife's like, what? We have lasagna every week. Oh, I hate it. I just thought I'd be honest with you. Nana's lasagna? Oh my God, if I knew you didn't like Nana's lasagna, I would have never married you. That's like a tradition. You have just, Nana would roll out of her grave if she heard that. Are we just being honest? You know, what about men? Hey, uh, your wife says, I hate watching movies. I'm like, what? That's been date night for seven years. Like, I thought that was our thing. She's like, I'm just tired of lying to you. I want to go walk the dog. Phyllis ain't watched a movie with me in years. This is a joke. What are they doing? They're, they're saying, look, I'm tired of living this lie, which dating is a lie. Can we just be honest? It's a lie. Nobody's honest when you date. You don't put your worst foot forward. You wouldn't get married. It's all a lie. And then that's the reality of marriage. It's like, who am I waking up? Who did I marry? Because what happened to my husband? You're like, no, that's me. Ta-da. <laughs> They're like, no, ta-da. Go. And so I have a seven-year itch. They're like, hey, so, so here's what happens. Either you allow your spouse to re-self-define themselves. So who, let me tell you who I am really. Or you go find a new one to manipulate for seven more years. And that's the cycle that you see, right? You self-define. So the question is, are you living with a a spouse that has been able to self-define? What does that mean? That means they've been able to identify who they really are, communicate that to you, and then you, whether you want to do it or not, you begin to say, well, I love you enough. Like, and I laugh all the time, but walking the dog. The other night she asked me, you want to walk the dog? That is a trick question. (laughs) No, 
I don't even like dogs. I got kids, let them, and, but that's not what she's asking me. She's asking me, do you love me enough to go walk around the block because it's what I love? And you know what my response is? Absolutely. I'd love to walk the dog at 11 o'clock at night and, uh, <laughs> instead of just go sit and watch TV or something, you know? She's identified things that make her happy. And if I love her and I'm in a relationship with her, I will do things I don't like so that I can express my love to her. And so, and if I don't, well, then she doesn't feel loved and it's not real love and we get into this whole thing. See, so God is a person. Have we allowed God to self-identify who he really is? See, I'm concerned people that say, Oh, it's all about relationship and it's not about religion. Well, religion is so much easier than a relationship. Can we just be honest? Like, give me 12 steps to be a good religious person and I'll do it all day long. But a relationship means I've got to do things I don't want to do. I've got to actually spend time with the person even though I don't have time. And so I wonder if what we're saying when we say God wants a relationship, it's not about religion, is that we are living in a manipulative relationship with God. And we like to manipulate God. That's what we're saying because if I look at your life, it would, a real relationship would be you get up at 6 a.m. and have prayer. No, not because you're well rested. Not because you feel inspired. It's because you discipline yourself because that's what God has self-identified that he loves. Would you get up? Jesus, I, he's like, I get up early. Everywhere in the scripture says he got up early and prayed. Why? Because he understood what God liked. God, let me say it like this. God has preferences. Do we know God's preferences? It's important because if we want the weight of God, we've got to have the, the understanding of who he is. He's not going to give us the weight of who he is when we don't even honor him or love him or value him or cherish him. So let me give you a couple of examples. I'm just, or some scripture to go with this. Psalm 141, verse two. This is the psalmist David, and he is running from Saul. So you gotta remember, Saul's trying to kill him. He's praying to God. Now David is the rightful king. He's been anointed, and yet the enemy is still after him. And his prayer is this. So he's praying to God, let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Well, imagine, so, so that doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but it does to David because David would have had the tabernacle of Moses and then ultimately the tabernacle of David. And what that was, was back then, they didn't have the cross. So God dwelled in a portable tent. And so David's understanding of God would have come out of the understanding of the tabernacle. And so what David is saying here is he's using this analogy. Look, he's the incense. Well, what is that? That's what was burned in, outside the Holy of Holies. David is saying, look, I know I can't go into the Holy of Holies, but God, can I be close to you? Can I just be near you? I just, I will sit outside of the Holy of Holies because God, I'm, that's what I want. I want to be by you. And he says, the lifting of my hands is the evening sacrifice. Now, we, we understand the, the, that here, he didn't have the tabernacle, so he is talking and saying, look, it's as if I'm burning incense. They call, it's the yada, that word there is yada, so his hands are now like God the yada. I don't have the physical tabernacle because he's on the run. 
but I'm gonna give you the next best thing, which is me, and it's actually a foreshadowing of what would happen. We are the tabernacle of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. He doesn't dwell in a tent, he dwells in us. So David is saying, I lift my hands as a, as a prophetic example of what God would want us to do in the future, the yadah. God, I give you the yadah. We raise our hands not because you're in a charismatic church, not because we're a church that's alive or spirit-filled. We raise our hands in worship because it's God's preference. It's what he likes. All throughout scripture, it's the raising of our hands. So, so when we come to church in essence, and listen, I don't want anybody, you raise it or not, but I'm just telling you, at some point if we're in the presence of God and that's what he prefers, So look, the author of Hebrews, look at what he says, Hebrews 13, 15. Now he's copying the exact same text of what David is talking about. It says, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good or to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Sacrifice. Now, that's a term that has totally escaped our generation. Like, we don't like to sacrifice. Well, we like people to sacrifice for us. But so when we look at the context, when David would raise the yada, that's a sacrifice of praise. It's, a, it's God, I don't want to, but I'm going to. God, this is your preference. Worship is a yada. When we raise our hands and we sing, we're saying, God, I give you your preference. I give you the act of worship. I give you the act of worship. But it takes more than just to act. Let me tell you, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves, and, and here's more of the foundation. You're like a living stone being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, so what's he saying? Look, that's not the worship team. You're the worship team. That's what he's saying. What do you mean, pastor? Yeah, yeah, I know they lead us, but you're the worship team of heaven. When we come and we die, we are worshiping God. We are saying, God, we're here to worship you because it's about you. It's not about the lost. It's not about anything else, even discipling believers. It's about worshiping you because you're worthy, not because of what you've done or what you're going to do. If you never did another thing, you are worthy. And we're going to give you our yada, our yada. We give it to you. We give it to you. We give it to you. So why do we go to church? We go to church to minister to the Lord and, and look, we minister to others. When they're in the presence of God, we come in contact with them. It's awesome. And, and all of this, the, the mentality of you being a priest is foreign in today's church. Y'all would say, I'm the priest. We're in a heavy Catholic culture. You'd say, oh, you're the priest, pastor. Do your thing. That's the worship team. And y'all do your thing. No, no, you are the priest. You are the priest. You are the priest. You are the priest. My job is to help develop through the five-fold ministry, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. The priest to go and minister not only to God, but to the people of God and then to the world. This whole delegation of ministry and like, I don't do that. That's pastor's job. No, you are a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. That standard doesn't drop just because I got a title. I am just the first of many leading many. 
I think what we have created is a bunch of Christian Buddhists. Therapeutic, moral deism. I go to church for my best me. My best self. Well, that's, that's, that's really, how can you be your best self without the one who makes us our best self? How can you be about your best self when you make yourself a God? No, I would never say that because I'm Christian, but the question of who's the God of your life is determined by how you respond and behave in situations. I know, I know, I know it isn't easy, I know. The question here is like, like when the pastor offends you, people upset you, do you stay or do you go? If you go, and I'm going to tell you, without God specifically telling you to go, then you're the Lord and God of your life. You have hijacked your life back. You, you, you have stolen what God has paid for, purchased, bought with his blood, and when you were dying at your lowest point, you surrendered all, and now you said, oh God, my preferences are more important. You stole your life back. So we got a lot of Christians living stolen lives, asking for God's holy blessing and presence. Look, I know God moves people. There's, listen, but he don't move you when you're offended. He don't move you when things, I, I, I've learned this. My pastor taught me, never make a decision on your best, best day or your worst day. In the mountaintop or the valley low. Never. Why? Because you're going to end up making mistakes. God plans it out like there's a right and a wrong. And so listen, who's the God? And, and really we have a Yelp review mentality of church and that's what happens, right? See, we go, we, and it's okay. We live in a capitalistic society. Look, I'm an entrepreneur. I love it. It's all great. I think it's amazing, but we got to be careful. Uh, the church is not uh, capitalism. It's not a democracy. It's a theism. It's a monotheism. There's one God. We are his bond servants. We are his slaves. Yes, I know sons and daughters as heirs, but ultimately we serve his will, his purpose. We are here to worship him. We are here to live for him. We are to give our lives fully and completely for him. It's all about him. It's always been about him. And so this Yelp review mentality ends up saying, you know, well, I'll go, I'll, I'll go to Chili's. God forbid if you do, it's terrible. <laughs> so sorry. And so you go there and they don't give you the food and don't do the, and then what you do, you go on Yelp, you're like, terrible service, terrible food, I'll never go back. Listen, it don't matter if you had terrible service here, if pastor preached a terrible message, if the worship and the lights are spotlighting the freaking brick on the side of the wall, you don't get to write a Yelp review. The question is not, did everything happen perfectly? The question is, God, I'm here to build your church. I'm not gonna talk about your church. I'm not gonna degrade your church. I'm not gonna badmouth your church. In fact, you may have called me to be a solution to your church. And I, I'm just convinced when you find something to complain about, you're probably the one God's speaking to to fix it. And if we'd stop complaining and start doing. So we got these flimsy churches that are moved by everybody's opinion. We got to stay focused, God. I'm not responsible for everything. Like we're doing the best we can. If, if I need to change, teach me, cheat, help me. But it's all about God. We're, we're not Yelp reviewers. Here, I want to get into this last part. I'm a little bit over time. Will you guys just give me a second? I just, I'm very cognizant of it. 
But this is the most important. This was all the build up for it. And this is what changed my life. Psalm 57, seven and eight. Says, I will sing and make melody. This is David speaking. Awake my glory. Give me just a second, Eli. Don't start yet. You'll get me going too fast. How many love Eli? I just love Eli. That's my man right there. He's been with me since he was just a young boy. 16, wasn't it? It's a true story. David is praying to God. And then look at what he did. It's very interesting because he says, awake my glory. So he's praying to God. And now he's talking about himself. Awake my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. What's he talking about? He's talking about his yadah, my way to praise God. It's what I do. He's a musician, so that's his yadah. And so he says, awake the dawn. I will awake the dawn. So he's talking to God, and then he puts it back on himself. And what we know is that that word right there, glory, is the word kabod. So we talk often about the kabod of God, the weight of God. We talked about it last week when we talked about uh, the power of the Holy Spirit and this whole series that we have been in. But what we rarely talk about is the kabod of ourselves. That just as God has kabod and weight, we have kabod. There's a weight to our lives. There's a presence to our lives. And it really happens in two ways. The kabod for us is, it's who you are. It's, it's, so, so let me give you an example. It's, it's, it's what you do. It's what people say about you. It's what you bring to the day. It's why people call you and ask you advice. So it'd be like if Jonathan is a mechanic and someone said, hey, yeah, that's Jonathan. He's a mechanic. He's really good at fixing things. He's, he's a man of integrity. He's a great father. He's also an entrepreneur. That's his kabod. That's the who he is. That's the, the makeup of his life. But it also goes deeper than that. Kabod is, is the awakeness of your life. It's the, I'm all here in this moment. It's the, the kabod is like, like, have you ever seen, I saw this uh, a great, great illustration. I was watching, I, I have this real passion for a movement. I really believe God's going to do a movement. And so one of the things I was watching, you know, I just Google movement. How do you start a movement? You know, how do you bring change and all this? And it was years ago. And there's this crazy dude at a music festival. Anybody seen it? And he's out there and he's just doing this and ain't nobody watching. I mean, you're all like, what is he just like freaked out and just starts standing up and he's doing it and everybody's laughing. Anybody see it? You know what I'm talking about? Don't Google it now. Or you'll be in sin. Go home and Google it, how to start a movement, revolution, whatever it is. And he's out there and everybody's like, and I'm like, this dude is buck wild. He brought his full self. He's going crazy, like, woo, like just all. And I'm like, this dude, like somebody please, like it's embarrassing. He brought so much of himself. I was getting too much of himself. You know, it's like, oh, next thing you know, someone joins him. And then they get out there, and they're, they're, what are they doing? That's the full weight of their presence, their kabod. I'm all in. I don't care if you're looking or you're looking. And they're just going crazy. And next thing you know, everybody's like, well, that's kind of cool. And they all come in, and all doing this. But you had one person who threw their kabod out there, the fullness of their presence out there, all in, just didn't care. I'm all in. Well, that's what God wants from us. 
the full weight of your kabat. See, if you give God your yod and your kabat, he'll give you his kabat. See, I think we come to church, that, that's how you can have an experience in church and you say, man, I went to church and you got one person, they worshiped, and they're like, God is there. They walk out and say, that was the greatest worship service I've ever been in. And then you go over here, another person, same worship experience, they didn't feel anything. See, you want God's weight, but you won't give him your weight. There's an exchange. Like there's this exchange of God, I give you all of me, the weight of me. So, so the other day I was driving with Phyllis and um, I've had a lot on my mind. I mean, it's been a little bit of a busy season. Uh, and she was driving, she's talking about her nephews getting married and I'm like, la la land. Hey, well my dad's coming in town, mom's coming in town. And all I heard was mom and dad and wedding. And uh, you know, she was even driving, which makes it worse. And she's like, hey, Jim, hey, you hear me? I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. She said, what'd I say? Wedding, uh, mom and dad, they're coming in. She's like, you weren't even listening. God's like a woman. He knows when you're here, but you're not here. And we can come to church and we say, oh, I'm here. No, no, you're just checking off your yod. It's not just yod, it's yod with kabod. God, it's, it's me doing your preference with the full weight of my life, the full weight of my attention, the full weight of who I am. And when you do the yod with the kabod, then God says, all right, here's the kabod. That's why as a church, we've got to say, okay, God, here, here's the full weight of our lives. The full weight of who we are, we give it fully and completely to you. That's how come, so, so there are certain things that God likes that are, that are sacrifices to us because they're attached so dearly to our hearts. It just is. Like the Bible is so chock full of things that are sacrifice, sacrifice. That, that's how come giving is such a big deal to God. Look at, look at this passage, I want you to see this. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse seven. Each of you should give your yod, what you have. But look at what he wants. He doesn't want just your yod, he wants your kabod. Look at that, it says right there, heart. That's how come he says, look, not under compulsion, but he doesn't want, that's why it's so important. See, we missed it because we're like, well, how do I become cheerful? Well, it's because you recognize when I give him the full weight of me, I get the full weight of him and he is greater than any possession that I have. So the understanding of the exchange is like, God, I give it all to you. That's how come a martyr could go out into the street and say, I will not renounce him. Why? Because they understand that even if I don't ex receive victory or life in this life, I get what's better, that's eternity with God. What's important, but not just the act, it's the heart, it's every portion. Look, James 4, 8 says it, and this is my last passage. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, your yod, you sinners, and purify the kabod.
It's the heart. See, even James starts talking, when you see it, everything changes. It's not just the yod, it's not just the act, that's religion. It's the act with the heart. And the heart is not just obedience, no, that's compliance. If you do it and you're like, well, I obeyed, but your heart ain't in it, you complied. And we got a lot of complying Christians that do not receive the blessing of God and wonder why. It's because you gave the yod, but you didn't give the yod with the kabod. Think about worship. That makes worship totally different, guys. You don't come in next week and say, well, I don't feel like it. There's a lot of things I do for Phyllis I don't feel like. But when I give her the yod and the kabod, I get the full weight of my wife, yod and kabod. Come on. But you don't give the yod and kabod? See, I wonder if we're not manipulating Christians. See, we like the relationship as long as we get all the benefit. When does God get what he desires? See how it changed everything? That's why I told you it's not a giving message. Of course it applies, but it's worship. It's getting up in the morning. I mean, it's being bold about your faith. No, nobody wants to be told you're a bigot and you're, you're all these different things because we stand up for truth. Nobody likes that. Nobody wants to get in a debate or people persecute you, but you know what? It's not my preference. I didn't set it up. You know what's worse is us to say nothing and have a generation die and go to hell. It's not about us. So this morning, I just want to pray that God help us. Help us. We're going to be a church with a strong foundation. We're going to be able to hold the weight of God's glory. We're not going to lean to the right. We're not going to lean to the left. I'm not getting pulled over Democrat, Republican, this idea, that mask, no mask. No, 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 no. I'm kingdom. And if God speaks to you, whatever he says, you just do it. We're open for mask and non-mask. That's why I got online fam. Listen, I love you. I'm going to give everybody options. You let God speak. But I promise you this, regardless of where we're at, when we give him the yod, we give him the kabod, whether it's at home, whether it's here, God's glory is going to fall. We're going to see miracles. We're going to see healing and restoration. We're going to see a church that can weather the storm. We're not going to see 70% leave. Why? Because it's not about our personal preference. We didn't create the church. We can't define the church. We can only discover the intent and say, God, we'll go live the way you created us. Father, we thank you for this. I praise you magnify you, glorify you, King of kings and Lord of lords. Help us, God, the weightiness of this moment and your presence in our life. God, we need you. Maybe you could just repent. I know for me, whew, I heard someone talk about it and I just, but the more I learned, I'm just like, oh God, I have stolen areas of my life. I've hijacked them. I took them back. I stopped asking you, what do you like? God, we repent for that. Lord, I thank you for this church. We dedicate this church to you.
presence so so tangible we thank you. Let your word be sealed in our hearts. Now I wonder if you're here, maybe you don't have a relationship with God. I'm going to give you just a second. You say, I don't even, I don't even know him. I want you to know God's grace is in this place. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. Today's your day of salvation. Today's the moment. Well, what do I do, Pastor? Look, we confess, Jesus, be my Lord. We repent of our sins, and repentance is nothing more than saying, I was going in this direction. I repent. I'm giving you my life. I turn my life. And now I choose you. If that's you, just right where you're at, maybe you're worshiping online, just right where you're at, I just want to lead you in a prayer. Prayer of surrender. Pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I need you. I surrender my life to you. I recognize that I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Wash away my past. Right now, I put my trust in you to save me. Right now, I receive your salvation by faith in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Come on, church.